Great to be with you tonight. So we continue our series through First Peter. Uh, this series is called Sojourners, Living as We Long for Home. Living as We Long for Home. And tonight we're going to talk about promised grace revealed in the gospel. Promised grace revealed in the gospel. But before we get started, let's pray together. Lord, what a privilege to gather here again this evening. And we just pray, Lord, for grace to grasp the glory of the gospel of grace. Help us see it, Lord. Help us see. Help us see, God, how amazing it is. I pray that we would never cease to be amazed at grace. I pray, Lord, that we would never lose our awe and wonder at the thing at which angels long to look. And so I pray that you would afresh, God, help us to see and to feel just how great a thing you have done. In Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you turn there, I want to read to you another verse, passage. And this is from, uh, it's the very last verses of the book of Romans. Uh, it's Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. This is, what, this is how the Apostle Paul closes that book. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What I want us to... to just note in that passage is that it relates to what the uh, Apostle Peter is going to talk about tonight. And that is that the, the, uh, Paul said that uh, the gospel, he calls it the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations. And so, there's a sense in which the gospel was a mystery. And I, I just don't think it's an accident that we kind of talked about this morning and we're going to talk about it again tonight. That is there in the Old Testament. It's, it's all there, but to be sure, it was obscure. It was, it was not clear. The prophets, they were looking far. They were looking far away. And so it was hard to see clearly. But nevertheless, it was there. It was there as a seed. But no one could anticipate the beauty of the flower. Some of you are, you know, you got green thumbs. I can't even keep a tomato plant alive. I can barely grow grass. And, um, and you have a seed, and the seed just, I mean, it's a seed. It doesn't look anything. I mean, like a bulb, you know, some flowers, there are bulbs, right? You put them in the ground, it doesn't look anything, but then it comes up. And it's totally different from the look of the seed, but it's there. 
It was there the whole time. That's kind of how the gospel is in the Old Testament. It was there, but we just couldn't anticipate what it would look like when it flowered. And that's what we see, and that's what we're going to see tonight, in promised grace revealed in the gospel. Uh, and so now, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Word of God, you may be seated. I want us to see three things, uh, excuse me, four things tonight concerning the grace of our salvation. Number one, the grace of our salvation was planned to be ours. Number two, the grace of our salvation was foretold by the prophets. Number three, the grace of our salvation was revealed by the gospel. And number four, the grace of our salvation is astounding to the angels. So it was planned to be ours, it was foretold by the prophets, it was revealed by the gospel, and it is astounding to the angels. But first, the grace of our salvation was planned to be ours. The focus of this passage, I would say, is, is the, the, the promised salvation. So uh, last time we talked about how we were born again to a living hope. Uh, maybe you remember that. okay? And he's talking about this salvation, uh, this he says that we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then um, uh, he goes on to say um, that, what am I looking for? We're being guarded for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, verse 5. And so he's ta- So the whole context here is he's, he's trying to put our hope in the future salvation that we have. Okay, with the present and the future salvation that we have. And so to understand what he's talking about, we have to understand that he's using salvation in a very broad way here. So the Bible talks about salvation in many different ways. Sometimes sometimes it's referring to just that just that moment when you're when we say, you know, I got saved that, you know, when I when I turn from my sins and and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment, you are saved. That's true. But from a biblical perspective, that's really just a part of your salvation. It's not the whole deal. <laughs> the, whole, the, the Bible talks about salvation as the whole complex from beginning to end of what God has done, is going to do, and has promised to do through the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation includes everything from, uh, from our um, uh, the the new birth from our from our election to our new birth to the gift of the Holy Spirit to forgiveness of sins to adoption into God's family to the resurrection of the dead to the relief of our suffering to eternal life and new bodies free from sin to the judgment and removal of all evil and sin and its effects from the world to the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal reign of Jesus Christ we are salvation from beginning to end that's all part of salvation. 
right? And so he's using salvation in a very broad way here to speak about the whole, the whole deal, what, the, the totality of our salvation. And it is concerning uh, this salvation that Peter is speaking about when he says that the, the prophets prophesied about this salvation. And specifically, Peter says, that they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And that's what I want to focus on here in this first point. They say the grace that was to be yours. Um, different translations put it a little differently. In the Greek, it literally reads, they prophesied about the for you grace. The for you grace. What grace am I talking about? The grace that's for you. That's the kind of grace that, they, that the prophets did what? That they prophesied about. They pro- so that means that the grace of salvation... What Peter is saying was, was planned to be ours. That's what I'm talking about. God knowing his people, his children, he had planned then for all of time and even prophesied through the prophets about the grace that he intended to lavish upon us, them. That's, so think, think Peter is writing long after the Old Testament prophets were dead and gone. But, he was, but Peter is saying that the prophets were writing for us. For me, for you, about what? About the grace that was for us. That was the grace that was planned by God, that, that was ours. To be ours. And they prophesied about our grace in the future. You know, it's kind of like Christmas. You know, it's gifts. It's grace. It's undeserved. Some children think they deserve it. They don't deserve it. It's a gift. And you plan Christmas. Right? You plan it. And then, at the proper time, you reveal it. Right? That's how it works. That's what God did. He had it planned. It was for you all along. But it, you didn't receive it until the proper time. Right? It's the for you grace, the for us grace. So what does it mean? Is that It means that God in Christ has revealed the grace that he has long reserved for us. In the person of Jesus Christ. And what it also reminds us of this is that it remembers that, it helps us remember that there's more grace to come. You understand that? The blessings that we have experienced in Christ Jesus today are hardly even the tip of the iceberg about what God has promised for those who love Him. Can't even begin to imagine the glory that awaits us because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Far greater than any earthly father could give, God gives only the best gifts, and he, as we talked about last time, he'll make sure that you get them. Interestingly, the, God's gift of salvation was unveiled on Christmas Day, <laughs> the first Christmas. And if you think about it, there'll be another Christmas. Christmas means, you, I mean, we celebrate Christmas because what? Jesus came. Well, guess what? He's coming back. It'll be glory for his people. So number one, the grace of our salvation was planned to be ours. And number two, the grace of our salvation was foretold by the prophets. It was foretold by the prophets. Again, Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, 
searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. It says that they searched carefully concerning uh, what, the, uh, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So probably a better translation there would be what time, what time they were inquiring about what time or circumstances the Spirit of Christ was indicating. It might not make a huge difference, but that's probably a better translation. What time or circumstances the Spirit was indicating. They were, they were, they were, they were concerned about the time. <laughs> Right? They, they had these prophecies. You know, you, you, you read the Old Testament. God, God put words in their heart and in their mouth. And they understood them, yes, but parts of it was mysterious, right? So, if you like, for example, if you read the book of Daniel, these angels come to Daniel in visions. And, and there's multiple places where Daniel is just like, almost like dead. He just don't know how to handle what God has revealed to him and he doesn't understand what God has said, and he asked, you know, he asked the angel, can you explain these things to me, right? And so these prophets, they didn't, they, they didn't fully grasp what was being said, and so they were thinking about it, and they were wrestling with it. And um, what, what, what Peter says, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So there's lots of things I want to say here, but one of the first things I want to say in what uh, an important aspect of this passage for us is that this passage is actually one of the clearest and most powerful passages concerning the authority of the Old Testament, uh, and in particular in the inspiration of the Bible in general. And so this relates a little bit about what we talked about this morning, that, you know, there's a famous heretic uh, named Marcion who cut out cut out the Old Testament from his Bible because he didn't believe it, because he thought the Old Testament God was a different kind of God that he didn't want to believe in. But that's obviously not what the early the, the apostles and Jesus believed in. And the Peter says here, get this, he says that the Old Testament prophets were inspired by who? The Spirit of who? Christ. Have you ever thought about that? The Spirit of Christ. Well, how could that be? Because they all lived before Christ was born. And yet, Peter says that the Old Testament prophets were inspired not just by the Holy Spirit, but they were inspired by the Spirit of Christ. That's astounding. Well, in the Old Testament, the Spirit that inspired the prophets is clearly referred to as God's Spirit or the Holy Spirit. And so what we have here is an... As, as Peter is, make, is putting an equal sign, if you will, between the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God. They're the same Spirit, Peter is saying. And so what, we're say, so what he's saying here is we have the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets were inspired by the Spirit of God. There's not, there's not some other God. It's the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, because it's the Spirit of Christ. And it's also one of the clearest passages then uh, speaking of the deity of Christ because it identifies the Spirit of Christ with the Holy Spirit of God. And so this is it's a, it's a, a very important passage for these, uh, for these reasons. And, and what was the content of these uh, predictions that the prophets were making? Peter says here that they were making uh, predictions on the sufferings of Christ 
and the subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. This is important because many Jews balked at the idea of a suffering Messiah. But Peter said it's right there in the prophets. And indeed, as we read the New Testament, a huge part, perhaps one of the core aspects of the gospel message that the early church proclaimed was uh, as a way to as a way to defend Christ's identity as the Messiah, one of the key things that they would do is they would point to how the Messiah in the Old Testament must, uh, was said to uh, ha- that he was going to suffer, just as Jesus did. And there's several passages that, that tell us this. For example, Luke 24, it says, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then later in that same passage, he says, then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then finally in Acts 26, the apostle Paul, when he's given his defense before King Agrippa says, to this day, uh, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And so when the key parts of the New Testament message is rooted in the Old Testament of the Old Testament prophecies that said that the Messiah must suffer, and so it wasn't, it wasn't, again, it wasn't accidental, it wasn't incidental. It was part of the plan. The Christ had to suffer. And that was one of the key defenses that they would use against Jews who were denying Christ as the Messiah. And they were saying, but look, it's right there written that the Christ must suffer and then enter into his glory. And of course, the clearest passage of that, which we read this morning, is Isaiah 53, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So the Christ must suffer. The Christ had to suffer. And this is a key part of the gospel message, and it's what the prophets saw, and they were looking forward to it, and even they didn't fully grasp what was happening and what was being said. The Christ had to suffer. He had to suffer for you and for me. Why? Because our sin, the guilt of our sin, rose up, rises up before God greater than Everest. And God cannot let all that evil go unpunished. So God, in his mercy, sent Christ, who came to bear the weight and the guilt of our sin for all who would believe in him. Even though he never sinned, so that God could both maintain his justice in punishing evil, including your evil and mine that it deserves, while at the same time having mercy on sinners who are forgiven through Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is this? It's grace. (laughs) grace, wonderful, glorious, mysterious grace that was just not, it was a mystery. It was a secret. It was hidden. It wasn't, it wasn't clear, but Peter said it was there. They prophesied by the Spirit of Christ 
and they earnestly sought and inquired concerning the time and circumstances of the sufferings and the subsequent glories of the Savior. Why would they, why would they search diligently and inquire carefully concerning the times and circumstances of the Messiah? Because they wanted it to be during their day. They wanted to see the Messiah. They wanted to see their Savior. They wanted to see the redemption that God was bringing. But it wasn't the right time. It wasn't their time to see it. And that brings us to the next point. And so our, the grace of our salvation was planned to be ours. It was foretold by the prophets. And then number three is revealed by the gospel. The grace of our salvation is revealed by the gospel. We have an unspeakable privilege, church, as those on whom the end of the ages have, have come. And that's what the Bible says, by the way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Old Testament and, and the stories in the Old Testament. And this is what he says. He says, now these things happened to them, to the Jews, ancient Jews, as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You see that? We've been in the end of the ages for 2,000 years. We have been in this unique stage in redemptive history and salvation history for 2,000 years. The history that the Bible, that Paul says the end of the ages. That means that the time, all the time leading up to Christ was doing what? Looking for Christ. The whole, the whole entirety of human history up until the point of Christ was longing for Christ. But now that Christ has come, the end of the ages is upon us. I take that to mean that there will be that that now that the now is the season where Christ is proclaimed and his kingdom is grown but there will no there will not be any major redempt historical redemptive events by God until Christ comes back we are in the end of the ages we're in the end of the ages the, the only thing left to fulfill and to bring the the the, the final complete end is the return of our Savior. That's it. We're in the end of the ages. That's you. That's me. We now, on this side of the cross and the resurrection, have the glory of knowing, of knowing as revealed what the Old Testament prophets long to see. Don't you see that? In fact, Jesus said the same exact thing in Matthew 13. He said, Blessed are your... He's talking to his disciples. Blessed are your eyes for their sake. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And hear what you hear and did not hear it. That means, church, we're blessed. We don't have to... They, they long to see what in the world God was going to do. But we know... We know what God has done. He's revealed it in Jesus Christ. He's revealed it through the gospel. The seed has become a flower more beautiful than anybody's expectation. And we behold it through the gospel. 
The prophets, they, what the prophets could only see from afar has become ours to behold in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter says when he says that it was revealed to them in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. The prophets were not serving themselves. They were serving us. What they wrote down was for us. What, what Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and Ezekiel, what they wrote down, they wrote it for you. On whom the end of the ages has come. So that you would know when your Messiah came how great and glorious the salvation by grace is. It's astounding. The Old Testament, it says the message of the Old Testament prophets is revealed to the apostles. And that's what he says. He says, uh, in the verse 12, he says, in the, things, it's reve- uh, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so what Peter is saying then is that the, that the message of the Old Testament prophets is now revealed in the message of the New Testament apostles and their teaching. That's what he's saying. And then he says, just like he said that the Old Testament prophets were guided by the Spirit of Christ, he says the New Testament apostles then preached the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, which, of course, is exactly what Jesus said. And, and you know, I think he, he clearly has to be referring to, the Pente- to Pentecost here because he could have just said the Holy Spirit, but he didn't just say Holy Spirit. He said Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Which is what happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what's, this is another important passage because just as he said he identified the Old Testament prophets with the Spirit of Christ, he goes back and identifies the New Testament apostles with the Holy Spirit. And so in other words, he's equating the authority of the Old Testament, the authority of the New Testament, with the authority of the Old Testament. And so what Peter has given us then is a fully authoritative Bible. Old Testament inspired by the Spirit of Christ. New Testament apostles and their teaching as recorded in the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So therefore, we have one authoritative Bible that contains everything that God wanted us to know. And in it is, is the gospel, the glory of Christ revealed. The mystery unfolded and made known in the person of Jesus Christ. The Old, the Old Testament types and images and shadows like we talked about before were pointing to something far greater than themselves. It was there, but as we said, the prophets, they were looking far off into the distance, so it wasn't clear, but Christ has come. And now everything comes into focus with razor-sharp clarity, right? I mean, just think about all the things that didn't make any sense to the Jews. Why do I have to kill a lamb and take the blood and put it on my doorpost so that the destroyer would pass over my house? Because the lamb, the Passover lamb, is not about the Passover lamb. That's why. It's about Christ, whose blood would be shed for the sins of the world, such that if you come under his blood by faith, the destroyer will pass over you too. 
Why in the world, when Israel was grumbling in the wilderness, and God sent the, the, a plague of fiery snakes to, to attack and kill them, and why did God tell Moses to, take, to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole and stand it up so that everyone who looked upon it would be healed? Why? Because, because one day the one who would do what? Who would, who would destroy the snake by doing what? By climbing on a pole. So that what? So that everyone who looks at him, who believes in him, who trusts in him, will be what? Be healed. Be forgiven of their sins. Jesus is the seed of the woman born to crush the head of Satan. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham to bless all the nations. He's the Passover lamb whose blood protects us from the wrath of the destroyer. He's the serpent on the pole. He's the bread that came down from heaven to give life to the world. Jesus is the water flowing from the rock in the wilderness to satisfy thirsty souls. Jesus is the high priest who enters into the Holy of Holies with his own blood, tearing the veil so that now we have access to the very presence of God himself. Jesus is the root of Jesse. He's the shoot of David. He's the eternal king. He's the bright morning star. He's the object of angels' praise. The whole, everything is about Jesus. From beginning to end. But you just, you can't see it until Jesus gets here. And blessed are our eyes because they see what the prophets long to see. The glory of Christ revealed in Jesus Christ. So the grace of our salvation was planned to be ours. It was foretold by the prophets. It was revealed by the gospel. Number four, it was astounding to the angels. Uh, Peter concludes by saying that these things <laughs> are things in which angels long to look. Things in which angels long to look. The greatest tragedy that can befall a church or a person is ceasing to be amazed by grace. The things that we're talking about Angels long to look at them. So it wasn't just the prophets that were longing to see. The Bible says the angelic hosts themselves were longing to see what in the world God was doing. Baptists don't talk about angels a lot. I think it makes us queasy. But they're everywhere, and they're watching. The Apostle Paul said that God has made them a spectacle to the angels. There, there, there's, a, there's an invisible heavenly host that is just, they're on the edge of their seats holding their breath to see what God's going to do next. trying to get a glimpse of what God's going to th do through the God-man, Jesus Christ. There are things, and it's astounding, there are things about the grace of God 
that human beings will know that angels will never know. Have you ever thought about that? Unfallen angels don't need redemption. Fallen angels don't get redemption. But oh, the glory of God that redeems a fallen man. There there will be no such thing as a redeemed angel, but there will be multitudes and multitudes of redeemed people forgiven of their sins and brought back into the family of God. The angels long to look at the grace of God in Jesus Christ, but they can only look. They can never experience it. Only a human being will know what it's like to be forgiven. We're the only ones. And the Bible says that this in and of itself is a spectacle. It's something that God is doing to even, to even yes, to even show the angels how great he is. And that really is part of it. It's right there in the Bible. I'm about to read a verse to you. It's right there. There are, there are things that go on in this world that God, I believe, is legitimately like, hey, guys, watch this. I'm about to blow your minds. Ephesians 3, 8. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery There it is again. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, get that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is Paul saying? He's saying that God had an eternal purpose to show the angels his wisdom. How? Through the church. Through the body of redeemed sinners. God is showing the angels how unsearchably wise he is. It's amazing, it's incredible. And we can't cease to be amazed by grace. So what have we seen tonight? That the grace of our salvation was planned to be ours. It was foretold by the prophets. It was revealed by the gospel. And it's astounding to the angels. And in view of this, I close with a final passage, um, a warning, really, from Hebrews chapter 2. He says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message that was declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see what he's saying? He's saying what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is unbelievable. Forgiven sinners. Adopted into God's family. Totally undeserved, unmerited gift of God by grace. 
It's the greatest conceivable salvation. There's only one religion on planet earth where your salvation doesn't depend on your works, but on somebody else's. The grace of God through Jesus Christ. But get this. What if you take as great a salvation as God gives through Jesus and ignore it? Reject it. Despise it. There will be no escape. So don't, don't be unamazed tonight at grace. Look at the greatness of our salvation at Jesus Christ and receive it and believe it and embrace it as yours and be brought into this story of redemption greater than anything any of us could imagine. Let's pray.